Welcome back into the Great Scott Show on a Friday. Joining me now, the man that covers the New Orleans Saints as good as anyone for New Orleans football. Our friend, friend of the program, joins us monthly during football season. That'd be Mr. Nick Underhill. Good morning, Nick. How you feeling? Hey, doing all right. How you guys doing? We're doing good, man. What uh, What's your favorite Beastie Boys song of all time? So they're a little bit before my time. Uh, like License to Ill came out when I was like two years old. So I, I didn't really catch it and, enjoy, and appreciate it maybe uh, the way I should. Um, Intergalactic was kind of a, a hit during oh, yeah, my heyday. Great. You know, um, great song. For, for me, it's just kind of, you know, like Rick Rubin's impact on music kind of, you know, spawned out and he, he was, you know, their guy early on. And, you know, I, I kind of appreciate his sound through other arts. Sure, I really ever caught the Beastie Boys the way I should have. They're, uh, li- you know, License to Ill, it was definitely a product of its time. Like, it's, when you hear it, it sounds very much like the 1980s and that style. But, you know, a lot of their other albums kind of, uh, they're, they're unique, but they don't, they're not distinctive to a certain era. And I think that's what I like about it. Not that License to Ill isn't an a all-time great album, but, um, you know, all their albums sound a little different. You know, you mentioned Intergalactic, that Hello Nasty album. I think what I love most about it is every song on that album, you're like, man, this could be a different genre of music almost. Uh, so they, you yeah. know, they experimented. They did different stuff. You mentioned Rick Rubin, obviously, on the very first album and what uh, what brought them together. So it's good stuff, man. Nick Underhill is our guest. I think, first off, Nick, I, I know some listeners are wondering. I know they most of them follow you on social media, but uh, you evacuated everything okay on your end from the storm and everything else? Yeah, we got out ahead of it. Um, you know, it sounds like we got lucky with it. Really, no damage to our, our house or anything. You know, I know that isn't the case the case with a lot of people, and you know, people are still going through it. And uh, it's just hard not to think about the people stuck back home and just sitting in their houses without power, and they're just kind of, you know, in the unbearable heat, just sweating it out, and and uh, that those lights come on. And look, I, I mean, it really makes you like think about like how people lived in this house before air conditioning and power and. and you know, all that stuff is you stand outside in August for four hours and you're ready to fall out. And now people are just kind of stuck in that. So, I mean, hopefully it's, it's quick and things get figured out, um, you know, sooner than later, it seems like lights are starting to come on in some parts of the city. So at least there's uh, some progress and, and hopefully it's, you know, the weeks instead of the initial months that, that people were worried about, uh, you know, power getting restored. No question about it, man. It's just the heat, the humidity, the mosquitoes, all of it. Uh, certainly thinking and praying and, um, you know, one thing that sort of lets them escape for a little while is football and in particular, football, and that's something you bring to them and, and access that others aren't able to get. Uh, you bring to folks at Nick underscore Underhill underscore Underhill, excuse me, uh, on Twitter, New Orleans dot football. You guys have heard me talk about it. Uh, I'm a subscriber. I get great content there. It helps me do a better job on this show. And Nick, being there in Dallas, what's we're recording this for everybody um, on Thursday. So if one or two things are change a little bit before we air it Friday morning, just for context. But what has the access been like uh, in Dallas in terms of covering this team? And the follow up question I'll just ask now: How much does that alter? Um, you know, I guess from a, from a Saints standpoint, just practice and 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 the extra hurdles that they have to go through to prepare themselves for the season. 
So access wise, they're kind of on the uh, the regular season schedule. So they start practicing at AT and T Stadium, and you kind of get the twenty five thirty minute viewing window. You get to go out there, kind of see who's practicing, who's not. But we're no longer seeing uh, the entire practices, so uh, there, there's no really like insight into how Jameis Winston's looking. You know, is the installed first team quarterback now? Um, and interview wise, it's just kind of been like the, you know, the COVID protocols, it puts a couple of people on, on zoom. I mean, I assume that's going to change as things get more settled in out here, but, um, you know, during training camp, it was four or five guys and we were able to talk to them in person. So they're kind of on the zoom thing and that, you know, everybody's just kind of giving a little leeway and not fighting back on anything because, you know, obviously there's a lot going on and, and talking to people about football is, uh, maybe not the most important thing last week. So, uh, it's a little bit different there and you know, their schedule, um, they're off now until next week, Monday, that's, that's mandated to the CBA. They got to get a little break between the last practice and the first practice of the, the first, uh, week one game. So, I mean, there's not a whole lot going on here. A lot of players went back to where they're, they're from originally their, their hometowns. There's a handful of guys hanging around Dallas waiting for the, the team to come back and they'll have their headquarters here you know, up until it becomes time to go back to New Orleans and Metairie to the practice facility, doesn't sound like they're going to leave Dallas, uh, you know, and go set up somewhere else or anything like that. So it's just kind of here and just, just kind of in limbo, just waiting for, for things to get back to normal. Um, I talked to Mickey Loomis uh, after Wednesday's practice and just kind of asked him, like, hey, what's the threshold to, to get back? And no, he basically said that it needs to be widespread power. They don't want their players going back and, you know, being in situations where they don't have water, they don't have power, and that takes away from their ability to be able to, to focus on what they need to do. So, I, you know, I don't think it's, it's get the lights back a couple places or just get the lights at the Superdome and their practice facility. I think it needs to be, you know, widespread and where people are living. And, you know, at that point they'll come back. Um, and like I said, I mean, Hopefully that, that's just a couple of weeks and it's not a, a month out. They are prepared to be here for a month, but it, the progress that, that we're seeing already kind of, you know, creates some optimism that, that it won't take that long. But, um, you know, I think they're fine being here for a little bit. And I think Sean Payton, there's a piece of him that, that probably even likes it a little bit. I mean, you know, not, not that this is going on or anything, but just the fact that you can get everybody in one location and, you, you can kind of draw that focus more singularly towards the football goal and, you know, kind of focus them in and, and lock in on what's going on and kind of eliminate anything else going on. And, you know, he mentioned that in, in an event like this, it does allow players to become more focused and it doesn't, it isn't a distraction or anything like that. So, you know, for a week or two, I think it just kind of allows you to hone in. It goes on longer. I mean, you know, people get frustrated and, and just want it to end, but, you know, in a short-term thing, it's kind of like going away for training camp and just kind of, you know, blocking out everything else out and here you are and focus on it. And, you know, I think they do well in that part of it. Nick Underhill, our guest, ESPN 1420. I'm Scott Prather. It's it's a challenge, uh, to say the least, but as you said, Sean Payton, um, pretty meticulous, probably likes the idea, not the situation, the idea of having everyone together. How do you keep them focused on football and not distracted about what's going on back at home? Uh, and then you're traveling for the week one game uh, to Jacksonville. Um, really, it, it's you figured they had to be playing somewhere that was an NFL stadium. AT&T Stadium wasn't available. Week four is too far out to really know if they're going to be back home or not. In terms of 
week one outdoors. I know it's a ways away. Um, you know, on that field, was it all things considered a, a good outcome in terms of where they have to play a week one game? All things considered. I mean, I guess you got to go somewhere. And, you know, the uh, Times Picune had the story about it today, about their process going through it and kind of researching it and everything. So, I mean, you know, if that's what they think is the best spot for them, for me, I, I thought it was a little bit weird, actually, to go there. I thought that they'd try to find an indoor venue with, with turf. Um, yeah. You know, this is a team obviously based out of New Orleans. That they know the heat, but they're in training camp. I mean, I, I'd have to go back and count, but I think they were only outside like five times the, the whole summer and everything else was indoors. So it's not like they've been out in the sweltering heat, kind of sweating it out and getting used to this. And they're going to get this team from Wisconsin down there and just, they're going to sweat them out and they don't know how to handle it. I mean, you know, I think between the two, obviously the Saints are going to understand the heat a little bit more, just, you know, generally just living in it and having it be a part of everyday life. But it, it's, it's not like they've been like building up for four weeks to this, you know, game. And now circumstances worked out and oops, they're outside and, and they have this like, major advantage so you know you got to go somewhere it's it's the venue that, that's available out of the you know the, the florida ones I, I think it makes the most sense um there are a lot of people from wisconsin retired in florida so it'll be interesting to kind of see uh what that crowd's like but you know i i would have thought like arizona if since dallas isn't uh-huh. available due to uh the concert they have here maybe atlanta though that would have been a little weird those are the spots that i was like looking at I'm like oh these make the most sense Jacksonville, I, I didn't really have on that list, but um, if they think that, and it works out the way it is, you know, it is what it is. Um, and, you know, at the end of it, you're, you're at a neutral site and you can't really control any of the variables, you know, as far as who comes in and can, can the other team steal home field advantage or anything like that. Uh, keeping it in Texas, I think, would have skewed things a little bit. But either way, it's a seven-hour drive from New Orleans to Jacksonville. It's a seven-hour drive to Dallas. I mean, if people wanted to get to these games, I think, you know, they're, they're going to get there. Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to just kind of, kind of see, um, you know, if, if they can maintain a home field or if there are a ton of Wisconsin transplants, you know, just maybe a little bit closer in, you know, they, they can get there a little bit easier. I am. Um, I'm, I'm with you, Nick, ESPN 1420. I was thinking I, I would have, I, I didn't, but I would have bet money on Arizona. I mean, with them traveling, just being that it could be indoors, I thought that's what they were going to go with. Well, it's pretty rampant that AT&T Stadium wasn't available. So Jacksonville was a bit of a surprise. Um, but when you had to consider all the options, I mean, obviously there was no way Sean Payton was ever going to you know, allow them to play in Green Bay or anything, despite what the Packers might want. It just felt like Arizona was kind of what it was going to be. But get on the plane, fly to Jacksonville, and let's see what happens playing outdoors uh, in, in, a, in a very difficult week one game. Nick, when they made the the trim down to 53, and we know how much Sean Payton constantly tinkers with the 53 every single week of the season. Uh, so guys on the bubble or on the edge, you know, could be on, could be off, depending on what week it is. With that now just being said, was there anything that surprised you with the 53? Anything stand out where it was like kind of a head scratcher to you? There's a couple things. I, I don't know about a head scratcher. I, I felt like this was a bit more straightforward, like as far as making your predictions and those like points where things twisted on you were like Derek Kelly. And those aren't, those aren't the, the moves that kind of, you know, make your head explode. It's just like, oh, okay, they decided to go in a different direction with a different developmental uh, offensive lineman. 
The one thing that, that did surprise me a little bit was fullback Alex Arma uh, getting cut. He's on the practice squad now, um, and he, he is a, a vested veteran in that. So, so you weren't risking losing him by cutting him. So they might just have him on the practice squad temporarily. They can elevate him to the new roles if they want to for two games, and those might be the first two games, and then they find a way to get him back up. They claimed a, another guy, uh, Adam Prentice, another fullback from Denver, and with those practice squad rules and the way you can do those elevations, I mean, you can really stash players on your roster a lot easier now, and the cost of doing that isn't as high because you do have those elevations. So it's a way to hide a player. And, you know, the other surprise, I think, was seven linebackers. But, again, like, you can work those numbers a little bit and get guys at different positions on your practice squad and elevate them and, and hide someone, and it doesn't really impact you the same way. So, you know, at some point they might cut in Andrew Dow or Chase Hansen and, and try to get them through to the practice squad. But protecting them, um, that depth there at that position was was something that I think was maybe even a little bit unexpected. You know, I was the guy that, that was kind of ringing the bell saying, hey, they don't need to go out and, and add players to this position. They got enough guys. But, I mean, Zach Bond being as good as he is, uh, and just top to bottom, I mean, all seven of those guys, I think are more than deserving of, of being on a team. And I think if any one of them got let go, they would have got claimed. So that's why they, they had to keep them all three cornerbacks. I think that's the biggest thing that, that stands out is just the, the general lack of depth at, at that position. Uh, Patrick Robinson's retirement, I think is, is still felt a little bit. They haven't really gotten the numbers there. The one thing I would say though, is, you know, when you look at that, we list Chauncey Gardner-Johnson as a safety, and we, we call him a safety. He's a cornerback. I mean, he plays 98% of his snaps in the slot. Um, and, like, a guy like Brian Pohl plays 98% of his slot, snaps in the slot. We call Brian Pohl a cornerback. We call Chauncey Gardner-Johnson a safety. I mean, I think you have to count him a little bit towards that number. It's just it's labeled differently, but, you know, you, you can call a bottle of water whatever you want, but it's a bottle of water at the end of the day, and he is a cornerback. And PJ Williams has that that flexibility, safety to cornerback. He's listed listed as a corner or a safety now, but he can play there. But I still think they need one more guy. I mean, you just need that other player that you can feel good about and just have that depth. Um, you know, the one thing that, that I am kind of hearing is that there is some optimism that that Lattimore's suspension isn't going to come soon. It maybe doesn't come at all. I mean, that can change at, at any moment, but. There's a feeling that needs to go through the court process uh, for, for a handgun that he had that, that was allegedly uh, stolen when he got pulled over in Cleveland earlier this offseason. But there's a thought process that needs to go through the court process before the league can, can do anything. He doesn't have a court date set yet. So if that has to play out and, you know, there, there's some, you know, these things take some time and that this isn't probably a high priority case, you know, given given the nature of the arrest, it's not nothing, but it isn't something they're going to, you know, rush to get in there. If it takes a little bit of time, that, that could be something that's advantageous for this team. And, you know, possibly that suspension comes further down the road in another season, late in the season. And even later in the season is better than now, because if you can maybe push that out a little bit and you aren't without Mike Thomas, David Onyemata, Marshawn Lattimore, all at the same time, that's, that's a little bit of a better outcome. If those get staggered, at least you got Mike Thomas back and, and your offense is a little better as your defense is a little worse. And maybe that helps offset a little bit, but you know, the, the longer that goes, the better it is for the team. Nick Underhill, our guest, um, I was reading your, uh, your article and, and story post you wrote on Tuesday, analyzing the 53 and 
when I came across cornerbacks and saw only three. I, I was kind of thinking the same thing, but then I saw P.J. Williams and C.J.G.J. and as you explained it, and but what stood out to me is kind of what you just said. Maybe they know, maybe they have a a, a read on this Lattimore situation and kind of know something that okay, it, it may not be for a while, if at all. And, of course, that's huge because cornerback two, I know, is a big you know, worry for many Saints fans that follow the team. But if you lose cornerback one, now you're, uh, now you're in a lot of trouble. I want to circle back to something you said about linebackers and Zach Bond. And I just, to me, biggest positive surprise of, of camp in the preseason. I didn't really have an expectation for him what is your takeaway from Zach Bond's camp and now his role moving forward with this team? Man, it, it was unbelievable. That first preseason game, the, the way he played, I, I was shocked. I mean, we saw some good things in, in camp, but it wasn't it wasn't that. And his ability to, to blitz from from that position, you know, it's it's like he's being shot out of a cannon. Um, you know, his coverage looks much more confident. You know, last year in, in camp before he got hurt you kind of see like a pass to the flat and you'd see bond like he's, you know, he's in his drop and then there's that recognition and he's still dropping and there's a pause and then he goes like, now it's just, he sees it, it clicks, he goes and he moves and looks like a linebacker. He sees the field like a linebacker. You know, we're talking a, a small sample here. It's two preseason games. And it's something that I think he'll have to continue to, to prove over and over it before you, you can fully buy into the, everything he's doing, but it looks good. I mean, at the very worst, I think he's a he's a serviceable depth linebacker at the high end. I mean, the way he played against Baltimore was was incredible. I mean, if, if that was the player he is, I mean, you're you're extremely excited about what he can be. Um, so his his growth is something that that you know definitely surprised me. And look, I'll be honest, when they drafted Pete Werner, I'm kind of looking at it like, what are what are you guys doing here? Like, what does this say about Zach Bond? Or does does this indicate that? this, you know, transition from defensive end to linebacker isn't working out. Is this pick already a bust? But no, I mean, they, they just built a strength on a strength. And I think Pete Werner, before he got hurt in camp, I thought he was playing better than, than bond. And he was working ahead of him quite often um, in the rotation, the linebacker. So it seemed like the, the team was liking what they were seeing out of him. His injury, I think opened the door for, for bond to kind of step through and, and take the lead on the depth chart and, I think he's certainly done that. So I think he's a little bit ahead of him. And then, you know, they added Quan Alexander too. So it's just really like they're just building a strength on top of a strength and looking at all those moves as they happened individually, every time it's like, well, what does Quan say about Bond and, and Werner? What does is, what is Werner say about Bond? It's just, it doesn't say anything about any of those guys. They just got really deep at that position. They have good depth. And, you know, I think that position is going to be a strength for them. As for Bond, I think his role, um, you know, I think when they're in, in their base and they're going three linebackers and uh, Alexander's in there, I think he could probably get some some snaps at, at, on the strong side. Um, early running downs or, you know, situations where, where they're in nickel. And, but they did this last year. When they were in the nickel, they, they would take Alexander off the field because he's not a, he's not a great run defender. He's a better guy against uh, Pats and Clays and Ronnie, he can kind of expose you to some things. He gambles a little bit and sometimes ends up in the wrong gap. So to minimize that, they would take him off and put Alex Anzalone on the field early downs when they wanted to be in nickel. I think in those packages, early downs, that's where Bond and Werner might get some of their snaps. And again, I think Bond's probably playing a little bit ahead of Werner. So 
Um, he'll have a role. He'll get snaps. It might not be, you know, 80% every game, but I think he's going to play more than he did last year. And, you know, if all these guys are good, they're going to find ways to get him on the field and, and kind of utilize their different skill sets. ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com and the ESPN 1420 app. I'm Scott Prather. We are visiting with Nick Underhill, New Orleans.football. That is the website at Nick underscore Underhill on Twitter. If you want to follow him there, get all his stuff, including uh, his latest pod where they talked about Jameis Winston, his ceiling in the offense. We're going to ask him about the same starting quarterback and the backup situation as well when we come back right after this quick timeout. Don't go anywhere. It's ESPN 1420. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather coming at you on a Friday. Reminder, got plenty of high school football for you. Across our airwaves tonight, St. Martinville, excuse me, uh, yeah, St. Martinville hosts Cecilia. Mike Bernard will have that call. Acadiana football and Classic Rock 105 won this year. You've got Ascension Episcopal. They're playing tomorrow against Lafayette High on Talk Radio 960. Turlings Catholic football all season on News Talk 96.5 KPL. And, of course, tomorrow we got Louisiana Raging Cajun football for you here. 1.30 pregame, 3.30 kickoff, Louisiana at Texas, number 23 at number 19. It's going to be huge. We've talked a ton about it. And uh, tomorrow, it's finally here. Kickoff's here. A week from Sunday, Saints kickoff is finally here. We're talking Saints football with Nick Underhill as we move into our next segment with him, Nick. And you were talking about this on your podcast. Jameis Winston is the starter. You know, before I... I kind of ask you how you feel and maybe rehash not everything, but a few things you mentioned in your pod going into camp. Did did you feel like either guy had a leg up? Did you feel like this was Jameis's job to lose? Was the competition 50 50? What were your thoughts sort of heading into training camp about of uh, who was going to be the starting quarterback for the saints? I think that heading into, I, I don't know if it was his job to lose, but I think, I think that, that, you know, it was pretty clear that, that Jameis has more upside. Um, it, it, well, at least a more achievable upside. He was closer to achieving his upside than Taysom Hill. I think there's this, you know, theoretical version of Taysom Hill where he's this dual threat and he's harnessed all of his powers and he knows how to marry the running to the passing and the passing is good enough. And if he could have got his, you know, his, his ability to process the field, make quick decisions and, and kind of become – the, the peak version of himself. I mean, that guy's but getting there. I think the road was very long and Jameis isn't that far off from reaching, you know, his, his peak potential. And he's a number one pick. You, you see the tools uh, and you've seen it throughout his career. When he's locked in, he can do things that a lot of people can't do. I mean, his, 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 I hate using, you know, cliche football terms, but his arm talent is, is up there with anybody, uh, in the league and he can make those throws. And we've seen that even through the preseason and it's just the decision-making and finding a way to calm him down and not feel like he needs to play hero ball and just kind of settle and make solid decisions and, and be smart about how he distributes the ball. 
and that's just kind of like a rewiring of, of a thought process as opposed to kind of speeding up and, and rebuilding some of the stuff that Taysom does. So I, I thought Jameis had a little bit of a leg up because you know, I, I just I just think it was easier to kind of get him to the other side of, of the issue that, you know, lowered him to the point where he's $5.5 million quarterback fighting for a job with a guy that people didn't think had the ability to do it. But you know, when it came together and again, 10, 10 plays in a preseason game isn't enough. And, you know, you're going to need to see 350 attempts probably before you, you actually start to believe fully, okay, Jameis is this version of himself. Um, you know, but, but in those, those 10 snaps in the last game, I mean, man, the things he was doing, it, it, it was impressive. And I think it was a very, very clean, obvious victory. Um, and, you know, the incompletion, the incompletion is the one play that, that, you know, really made me feel better about him than anything else. Cause I know you can throw the ball down the field and, and be accurate on deep passes. Um, his interceptions historically have not been on those deep passes. It's, it's not seeing linebackers underneath. So hitting those, those passes to Callaway didn't necessarily surprise me. It, it was the third and 16 play. He's looking down the field. He decides not to fire it down the field. He checks down the passes off. It's, it's his one incompletion, you know, and it was very clearly on him. But just the thought process of saying, you know, all right, third and 16, I'm not going to go down the field. I'll just check it down here. We aren't going to get the first down. It's going to be a turnover on downs, whatever. Like old Jameis, third and 16, he's looking down the field, and he's, he's trying to hit that pass, and he's doing something risky with the ball and putting his team in harm's way and, and trying to dig him out and be the hero. And that's the rewiring. That, that check down. In that moment, that's exactly what they're trying to get him to do. That's that's what they're trying to change. And he showed the ability to do it. And it's one time. He needs to do that 500 more times. But that one moment, to me, was just like, okay, like maybe he really does get this, and maybe there is a chance for him to be better than, than you know he was before. It's um, un, un, untapped is something we can still say about Jameis, but it's it's more or less can he reach that untapped potential by cutting back on something rather than adding to it. Usually when you talk about untapped or reaching that ceiling, it's kind of, I guess, kind of how you were referencing Taysom Hill a little bit, sort of putting it all together. Can he do this and this and this? And with Jameis, you know, when you're talking about a starting quarterback – it's kind of rare when it's, okay, it's untapped if you sort of hold back on this. As you mentioned, that incompletion, the fact that he just checked it down, got rid of it, instead of trying to force something, which has been, you know, his biggest Achilles heel as a pro is is the turnovers, and a lot of times it's whenever he's just making a poor decision by trying to do a little too much. You know, can he protect the football? But the deep ball is something that Saints fans – have clamored for and they think of, well, well, you know, Breeze is the most accurate passer ever, but can you get the ball down the field more? Can you get the ball down the field more? How much of that do you think will be in the game plan this year? Is it, are fans maybe sort of thinking it's going to be too much or do you, do you foresee the Saints sort of being a, a down the field aerial attack quite a bit with Jameis Winston? Yeah, I, th- I think they're definitely going to get back to some of that. And I think we already saw some evidence of that in the preseason, just in, in some of the, the concepts that they're running. Um, you know, th- there's more play action already than, than what they've been doing. You know, the last few years, it, it's been, you know, 90 to 100 play action attempts in a season. And, you know, there's really, you know, the benefit for it for the Saints when, when Breeze is throwing an average six, seven yards down the field. Like, it's just, it's just not as beneficial as it is for, say, a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen or Aaron Rodgers, who were all, 190 attempts play action or, or higher because you're kind of, you know, 
trying to get those safeties frozen, buy a little time, block a little longer, and then take that shot down the field. So you're buying time for your receivers to get down the field. Um, and, and they're doing more of that with, with James on a you know percentage of plays basis in the preseason. And I think that's something that's going to continue and, and carry on. Um, some of their route concepts, you know, they're they're simplified, and it's it's three guys on a route because you're you're max protecting a little bit, and again, buying more time to set up those shots down the field. So I think this team, you know, they're going to kind of, especially early in the season until you get Mike Thomas back out there. I think they just kind of got to rely on the strength of the team, and, and that's that offensive line. And you can get them the block and buy time, and you can move the field, you know, in, in chunks. You can lean on it for your screen game, your running game. And I think that's going to kind of be how they play. And it's just going to be a little more emphasis on it. And look, I mean, this is a team that, that was quite a bit down the field before 2016 was really the last year of it. And if you go through and, and you look at how Breeze was hitting, you know, even intermediate out routes, like it fell off in 2016. And then by 2017, you see the, the condensed offense. And over the years, it just kept squeezing in more and more. And, you know, one of the things I, I do, I, I draw out their plays and I've been doing that since 14 and, you know, every passing play they're running, you can just see in those concepts, some of the plays where, you know, on, on the backside, you got a, a backside, you know, post to dig out the safety or, or go route or something like that. Those plays over the years, instead of going down the field, they start hooking and, you know, they're, they're these really deep crossing routes. And whereas on the other side, everything's the same. So, they just started bringing it more and more in and kind of, you know, did little tweaks to their passing concepts to suit their quarterback and still have that route be an option. But, you know, if it keeps going down the field, the ball's not going to get there. And that's just, you know, some of the things they did that changed. So I think those things might go back to how they were and they'll build some new things um, around what Janus does. Look, I mean, on the, uh, the, the first touchdown, the Callaway, that's a concept that they really didn't run at all. I mean, you, you saw it a couple times last year when uh, Taysom Hill was in there, but it, it's, a, it's a passing concept that really just didn't suit Breeze. You aren't going to have two deep routes and him kind of making a choice based on where the safety bites. Like he, last year, he wasn't able to wait the, you know, 30, 30 35 yards down the field to, to see how it can cover three and then go the other place with the ball because he just, he just couldn't throw it there. So, those are some of the things that I, I think that you'll see change, and it, and it does lend itself to more of a deep passing attack. Nick Underhill, our guest, ESPN 1420. Last offensive question for you, Nick, and then um, quick special teams question, and we'll let you run. We appreciate you taking the time. Other than Alvin Kamara, is is Marcus Callaway, the fact that Michael Thomas is starting on the pup list, is he the the obvious answer to who's the the number two player in the in the Saints offense this year in terms of skill positions. I mean, is there is there a dark horse in there in your mind, or is it pretty much Mark Mark Marquez Callaway at this point? Obviously, Kamara's number one, but yeah, I mean, I think it is, I think it is. I mean, with Traquan Smith being hurt, I mean, you, you just don't really see that competition. And I think the high end of Callaway, it's crazy to say, but I, I you know I think the high end stuff that we've seen Callaway done, it maybe exceeds some of the high-end stuff that we've ever seen uh, Traquan Smith do. I think Traquan Smith is a little bit probably more reliable over the middle and making difficult catches, but he's got to be healthy and out there and doing it. And I think he has he has more deep ability than we've seen. But, yeah, I think Callaway is definitely the guy that you would put at the top of that list. And I think his emergence kind of lends to a little bit of confidence uh, I don't want to say confidence, but, but cautious optimism, I guess, would, would be a better phrase of their ability to maybe get through that, that first six-game stretch 
without Mike Thomas. Uh, another thing that I think helps is, is Stephon Gilmore starting on PUP and, and uh, for the Patriots, you know, week, what is that? Week three, week three. Yeah. If he was, uh, if he was dropped on Callaway, you know, he, he shadows the number one receiver for the other team. I, I don't know if Callaway's getting open in that game. Uh, week one going against Alexander is going to be tough for him if, if they decide to, to do some, some shadow coverage. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily James Bradbury for the giants. That's going to be a tough game for them. He, he's a top 10 cornerback too. Um, so, I mean, he's going to have some really tough matchups early in the season. Seeing how he responds to it, you know, that, that'll be interesting. You know, I, I really do think that they need to get Smith back on the field quickly. Um, his, his injury is supposed to be kind of a, a minor one and not something that lingers too long. Hopefully he's, he's back for, week one, but I mean, they're going to need both of them. And I do think Callaway's good. His, his upside looks really good. I just, you know, I, I just need to see more at this point. We know he can make some difficult catches. We know he can get deep. That's going to help. But can he, can he go over the middle and, and make a tough catch there? I mean, there's just things where if he is like your number one guy, there's just a couple more things that I think we need to see as far as information gathering. And he might answer all those things positively. There really isn't a reason to doubt him. I'm just not like all the way there yet with being like, you know what? They're good. But when Mike Thomas does come back with him, Callaway, Traquan Smith, I think that's a, a decent group of players. You got Deontay Harris too. Uh, if little Jordan Humphrey, you know, keeps catching the ball in that, you know, he, he played well in games that the first interception with Winston, I thought was definitely his fault tipping that ball up. But if he keeps growing and, and he can do some different things. You know, he, he looks like a guy that knows how to get open, um, use his size to, to create separation when there really is no separation. So he could be helpful for them. You know, it, it's still a spot where I think you would have hoped that they had one more guy. But with what they got when Thomas gets back, Nick Callaway is what he is. I mean, that one-two punch could be really good. Nick Underhill, great stuff. Final question on the team roster is special teams um let's expect it to be on ir maybe by the time this airing it, it is but you got alger grossas blake gilligan new punter you know morstead there for so long zach wood i know the saints have put a very much premium on special teams in the last four to five years where there was a stretch there where it was, it was pretty rough um especially during those seven and nine seasons you know you had morstead but not too many positive takeaways and now, you know, you've had one of the better special teams units in the league. Is your expectation any different this year with a new punter, with Lutz starting the season uh, on the shelf and just with uh, a, a lot of roster turnover and guys like a Justin Hardy and others from the past who just won't be in the mix? Yeah, I mean, I think it could definitely take a step back in, in some aspects. Losing Hardy, like you said, is a low-key uh, big move for them. I do think maybe Paulson Adebo, if he gets a chance there, he, he could be um, a pretty good gunner. And, and they had a couple other guys that, that shined uh, throughout training camp. But um, I think Adebo might have a chance of getting a shot at it. It'll be interesting to see if they, they use him in that um, week one. The kicking, I mean, they're probably going to miss some kicks. It, it's just he's not as automatic as Will Lutz. And he missed, you know, an extra point in the preseason game. So that'll be interesting to see. Punting wise, I mean they were top of the league net, you know, in, in, in the in the upper tier of net punting. I do think that Blake Gilligan's probably a better punter than Thomas Morstead was last year. Morstead had some injuries and some other things going on. I mean his leg is noticeably bigger than what Morstead's was at the end. You know, just 
based on that, it could be a little bit better in that aspect. If they get the same type of, you know, punt coverage from the Gunners and losing Justin Hardy could be a factor in that. And really, I mean, the, the, the excellence of Hardy and JP Gray in those spots kind of help, you know, really cover up a lot of the stuff that, that Morstead was going through while he was punting through his injury. But, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I just think overall that there's some attrition there and some things that they got to prove. Um, you know, maybe by the time Lutz gets back, maybe second half of the season, you know, special teams is right back where it was and, and you know, maybe maybe even better in some aspects. But, I mean, you're definitely right. that They let special teams go, like, in a big way. And I think in 2016 there was, like, a little bit of a recommitment to it. You started seeing, you know, some moves, getting guys like Dan Joe in and other guys that were special teams first and foremost players really did make a difference and it is important that they find a way to, to maintain that level because very quietly like the excellence of special teams has been a big part in the resurgence of this team so you know it kind of goes back to, to everything though like I don't think this team there could be a chance that this team doesn't drive as well and as easily as it has in the past and now you take your kicker out and you got a guy in that's a little bit shakier, like that could cost you a game at some point. But I think, you know, going back to being able to have chunk plays, if you don't drive as well as you did before, leaning on that offensive line, getting down the field, getting some shot plays, gets you maybe into a little bit closer field goal range. And maybe that helps out your kicker who isn't quite as automatic as Will Lutz. And you know, I just think all these things kind of go hand in hand. And it's going to be interesting, you know, just early in the season, seeing how they get through all these things. Because I think Mike Thomas being out, hurts having Will Lutz out more and it's just, you know, it all kind of plays together. So there's a lot of things they got to answer early in the season. I think overall though, this camp, they got answers to a lot of the questions um, that, that were out there. And I think a lot of those things went positively. Um, interior defensive line is, is a massive issue. Depth at cornerback is a massive issue, but linebackers better. I think wide receivers at least quelled a little bit. Quarterback seems to be quelled at least a little bit. So, We'll kind of see all those things come come together when they uh, finally play again next week. All right, a week from Sunday, the Saints kick off their season. The next time we talk to you, Nick, will be uh, three weeks into the season. The Saints will have three games under their belt and will have a better feel for this team. My final question is, I don't know if you make predictions or steer away from that. You can, you don't have to. I, I feel like it's just a big transition year for the Saints, a lot of hurdles um, I'm, I've kind of been leaning towards seven and 10, eight and nine. Um, but you know, I know folks that feel like they're going to be double digit win team again. What is your expectation for the team this year? Um, you can give a prediction or you cannot, I don't know how you feel about all that, but what is your realistic expectation for the saints in 2021? It does feel like they're going through a lot and you know, what, what's happening right now is just another Another thing that this team has to deal with, um, you know, they, they can feel like they're getting better attention to detail and, and all that stuff uh, kind of being away. But, you know, I think it is something that, that's going to wear on them. That I do like about this team is that I think that, you know, a lot of the stuff that they've been through going back to, to 2017, they've been through a lot of situations that could break another team. And I'm not like a big, like intangibles guy and all that. Like, I think that a lot of stuff just kind of is what it is in these like secret, you know, mythical things. But this team has been like 2017 Minnesota uh, Minneapolis Miracle could could have broken a lot of teams. 2018, the way that season ended, could have broken a lot of teams. Like they've been resilient and fought back, and there really hasn't been 
any of that, you know, hangover from the previous years or, or feeling snake bitten. So I think that they'll be able to manage this early portion of the season and maybe even kind of forge even stronger through it um, if they find a way to survive. So for me, really, it's the first six games. If they can get through those first six games and be three and three without Anyamata and Mike Thomas, and I think there's a chance of that, there's a possibility that, that you get to that back half of the schedule and you, you find a way to win 10 games. And I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I've kind of been at 10, 10 wins the whole time, and stuff keeps happening. But <laughs> I, for some reason, like, I'm just not dropping that win total. So I'm going to hold tight at 10. I, I think they can get there. Um, they won games with Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill. I think James Winston's a lot better quarterback than both of them if he protects the football. So and as crazy as it sounds, like if he protects the football and he, and he let's say, I don't know, what, what's a fair number, 17 interceptions. If he yeah. keeps it at 17 interceptions yeah. for the season, I, I think there's a possibility, and this feels a little sacrilegious to say, that their quarterback could be better than it was a year ago. And if that happens, I, I feel like they can get the 10 wins. Now, if we're talking 22, 23 interceptions for Jameis, I'm, I'm dropping it. And I'm with you at, you know, seven, eight, nine wins. But if he if he protects the ball, I think they win ten games. I think if you told me seventeen just turnovers total because he fumbles at two, uh, I would sign. Yeah. I would I would sign that right now. If you told me seventeen total for the year, um, you know you're averaging you know one or so a game. I'm cool. I mean I know it it's not ideal, but when you take the the other side of it and the good things he brings to the table, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm I think we're both kind of at. Uh, 10 and 7, or you're at 10 and 7, I'm at 7 and 10, maybe somewhere in between. We'll see what happens. Um, but it's but, a resilient team, to your people, point. The one thing people forget is that before they, they stopped throwing the ball down, the Packers used to like throw, you know, 15, 16, 17 interceptions mm-hmm. every. Like it's, it's not an outrageous number for a team that's getting, you know, chunk plays and, and explosives and pushing it. So, you know, if it's, if it's 17 picks, six fumbles, like I'm still. I'm okay. still at that point. It's just if you start getting to like 25 and 17 games, 20, you know, 28 and 17 games, you're just not going to be able to, to win like that. And their defense, especially early on without Anumata, just it isn't going to be good enough to overcome it. And they got to protect the ball, especially those first six games, and and just you know do what they got to do. But you know, week one I think is going to be extremely hard for them. Uh, probably can beat the Patriots. Probably can beat Carolina. Can probably beat Washington. So if they get those wins, I think they'll be okay. But if they don't, and that first stretch goes bad, you know, there's just there's just no way to get there. They got a great offensive line and a and an incredible running back. They've got talent, and I know for folks listening, the Saints are you know they're super fans. It's their escape. It's it's what they they love to get into. And I know particularly for folks in New Orleans, Laplace, all those surrounding areas as well that are going through so much. And you know, I know you and your wife, your your house right now doesn't have power as we speak, and you all evacuated. For many, the Saints are kind of that escape, and if they could have a, a magical season that it, it might be unexpectedly great, I mean, I, I think that would be tremendous for so right. many reasons. I'm certainly rooting for it, and uh, I hope I'm wrong in terms of my prediction, and I hope it's closer to, to you. And you're close to the team. You do a great job covering it. Um, you know, I've I've been a member of NewOrleans.Football uh, for, for a while now. It's great content. And for anyone listening that doesn't follow Nick, at Nick underscore Underhill, and New Orleans that football. Tell tell our listeners, Nick, before we let you go about membership, how it works, and, and what you provide. Yeah, it's nine dollars a month uh, to get in, and you know, it's just analysis breakdowns, just deep dives, you know, stuff that that I don't think that you're going to get anywhere else. Um, it's just it's run by me and my wife, and 
just kind of runs off of community support and, you know, it's just 24 seven operation. Really. This, this is what we do. Um, it's kind of just trying to be a little bit different, a little bit more, you know, I don't want to say uh, higher level, but I mean, I think it's, it's just kind of content for people that, that, you know, they want to know how, you know, for instance, right in the story today about how the difference between how Eric McCoy made, makes his line calls and the protection calls for Janice Winston versus Tate Hill and kind of getting into those deep, deep details and pulling layers off and explaining how things work. So, I mean, that, that's kind of our approach for it. And I think it's just a little bit different than, you know, maybe other places are doing when they're more focused on, you know, the day-to-day details we're trying to, we're trying to go a little bit deeper than than uh, what you can get elsewhere. And you do. You do it, and uh, it educates folks and gets them more intel and more insight into their favorite team. Go check it out, guys, neworleans.football. Nick, man, all the best. Uh, glad you guys are safe, and, and I hope when you do get back to New Orleans that uh, the power is back and, and things are well for you guys. But we always appreciate you taking the time. I'll be reading your stuff. I'll be following. I'll be listening and look forward to talking to you again in about a month. Yeah, thanks for having me.